Hey, it's Kim Commando today, your daily podcast to keep you up to date with all things digital and beyond. And I'd love to have you be a part of our podcast. You can make an appointment to speak with me. Just head over to commando.com and on the top right, there's a button that says email Kim. Fill that out and that's it. All right, you know me, I always like to kick things off with something super fun and interesting. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm a huge fan of that show Yellowstone. And if you haven't watched it, just put it on your list and watch it now. And Kevin Costner, he's just fabulous as John Dutton. And he still looks really good. But one of the best parts of the show is the location. I mean, who doesn't love just looking at those vast, beautiful ranches next to Yellowstone National Park? And of course, there's Beth, the character. I love Beth. Anyway, but let's talk about the ranches. They have become true travel destinations for all these Yellowstone fans. Now, one fifth-generation rancher, a guy by the name of Benyard Black in Montana, he's renting out his house for top dollar to tourists and even shows them how to look for antlers and to go fishing. Uh, a pair of tourists said they paid nearly five grand to spend time on a ranch to help herd cattle. That's right. There's actually a startup called Land Trust. It offers up these experiences, and most of them for hunting on private property, which reminds me of what did the dad say when he dropped his son off for a week in Yellowstone? What did the dad say when he dropped his son off for a week in Yellowstone? Anyone? Anyone? Bison. <laughs> get it? Bison. I don't know. Bison. I thought it was funny. All right. You're about ready to get more tech smarts because every single thing is now a tech thing. And for those joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. We're through. Thrilled to have you aboard and to our loyal listeners. A huge welcome back, and you just look amazing. And I'm Kim Commando, America's beloved digital goddess here with you. It's the biggest show. It's the most trusted show about all things digital, and you can find us on over 420 top stations across the United States. We're streaming in your favorite radio app. Just search for my last name, Commando, and you can find us as a podcast, as a webcast, 24-7, commercial-free, over inside the Commando community. Just head to our website, commando.com, and hit the button that says Commando Community. And a big hello and salute goes out to all of our listeners on the American Forces Network radio, reaching over 375,000 American servicemen and women in 175 different countries and 200 ships at sea get the Kim Commando Show. And I know that you have just one or two questions about something digital I can lend a hand to. And our T-Mobile Unlimited listener line is now open at one 825 5254 is the way to join us. And you can always drop me your questions. I read every single email that you send me over at commando.com. Just hit that link that says email Kim. All right, just for you, dear listener and viewer, I check out 35 different websites every single day to make sure that you and I are both up to date. And here are the top five things you need to know about tech. It's happening right now. There's been this huge cyber attack launched from the group Scattered Spider. The hack has impacted all MGM casinos and resorts across the nation. Think about that. And they're still dealing with it. It forced the systems down. I'm talking about slot machines credit card transactions, restaurants, hotel room keys, it all went off. Caesars Palace reportedly paid, this is what they admitted to, $15 million in ransom not to have data released. But, you know, all it took to take this multi-billion dollar corporation down, it was probably a 10-minute phone call. That's right. The Black Hat, a notorious Russian hacking group associated with Scattered Spider, I know, they always have these weird names, uh, wrote on X formerly known as Twitter, that the group used social engineering tactics to gain trust from employees to get insider information. how they do this? They went on LinkedIn, they found an employee, fished for login credentials from them. Then they called the corporation's help desk, and the rest is history. 
Wow, I'm telling you, MGM, just huge. I mean, they really literally own half of Vegas. And the last time I was at MGM, there was this big security guard standing right by the slot machines. And I went over to him and I said, hey, you know, okay, why don't you be a pal and just, you know, nod or point to the machine that seems to be making all the big payouts. And he looked at me and he smirked and he pointed at, at a machine. Well, he pointed at the ATM. I was like, good one, good one. All right, moving on to number two. You need to tell the kiddos about this. Diet Coke lovers, who here didn't hear the bad news over the summer? That's right. The WHO announced that aspartame is potentially cancerous, the artificial sweetener that's literally in nearly every diet drink out there. And then once that news dropped, it didn't take long for a hashtag to start trending. Hashtag safety of aspartame. Now, all over TikTok and Instagram, health gurus and dietitians are weighing in and the majority has a bone to pick with the WHO, calling their warnings low-quality science. Now, in one video, a dietitian, a woman by the name of Mary Ellen Phipps, she sips a soda while claiming that artificial sweeteners can satisfy that sweet craving without messing with your blood sugar. Well, as it turns out, a lot of these influencers have been paid by American beverage companies to say so. There's apparently a lobbying group that represents Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, and a slew of other companies. So here's the takeaway. Next time you're scrolling around, you stumble upon something that seems kind of strange or you're like, wow, this is great health advice. Uh, Just take a second and think about what might be happening behind the curtain. Uh, Moving on to number three, this is really, truly an amazing story. After years of searching for a diagnosis for her son's chronic pain, she turned to chat GPT. Courtney bought a bounce house for her son, Alex, during COVID, uh, the the whole pandemic, the shutdown. Then he started feeling like chronic pain. And then his personality changed. And then Alex started chewing things. So the mom brought him to the dentist. And the dentist told her there was something wrong with his airwaves. And they gave him a mouth guard. Got better for a little bit. But then Alex stopped growing. And then she brought him to a pediatrician. And the pediatrician said, oh, the pandemic has impacted his growth. And probably needs to see a physical therapist. So went to go see the physical therapist, and then Alex starts developing headaches. And the physical therapist says, oh, you need to go see a neurologist, and then an ear, nose, and throat doc. And so finally the mom's like, I need to know what's really going on. So she got an account over at ChatGPT. She fed everything into it. And ChatGPT came back and said that Alex might be suffering from tethered cord syndrome. She went to a neurosurgeon, He confirmed it. Alex got a surgery. Now he's on the mend. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, chat can be wrong a lot of the times, but maybe once in a moon, it's right. Moving on to number four, Facebook Marketplace. You log in, you can see a lot of weird stuff that people are selling there. Escort services, live snakes, cocaine, used underwear, list goes on and on. Uh, I typed in mushrooms. I got 10 ads for magical mushrooms within a 60 miles radius of me. I also typed in pre-loved underwear. Oh, God, gross. So bottom line here is that um, Facebook Marketplace is kind of changing. You might want to start looking at other places to sell your stuff. And finally, this coming in at number five, I know a lot of you are starting to plan your trips, a romantic getaway to Paris for Christmas, or maybe you want to go to Australia. And flight prices are through the roof right now. But here's a quick tip. Get your tickets through Google. They've just rolled out a new policy That will get you a refund if your flight price goes down after you purchase the ticket. Now, of course, we all know you can go to Google Flights and see the price history and you can monitor to get the best deal. But now there's a little button there that says price guarantee. 
And if you see that, here's how it works. So let's say you get that ticket to Paris for three grand. Price drops to 2,000 by the time you actually get to your trip. Google will make up the difference. And then you're gonna Google, get a Google Pay credit to your account for a grand. Now there are some catches, of course. Uh, not every flight will have a price guarantee. And it's also capped at uh, $500 of reimbursements a year. For more than a decade, Madison Conradis was the target of a cyber stalker. She was only 24 years old at the time, and the stalker shared nude photos of her all over the Internet and also directly with her friends, family and folks at work. And this person made threats, knew intimate details about her life, and she had no clue who he was. And he didn't just stop there. You see, Madison has a twin sister by the name of Christine. And she also became a target as he shared photos of her. And they had no clue how any of this was happening. And they went, of course, to the police and then they tried to fight back. But you know what? It didn't really pan out the way that they had hoped. I mean, the police kind of sat there and said, well, what do you want us to do? I mean, we don't really think that a crime has been committed right here. Well, joining us here on the Kim Commando Show line is, of course, Madison to share her story in the hope that speaking out will help other folks who may be in the same situation. So, Madison... When did you first get that message? So I first got the message uh, around 2013. Um, so it was like 10 years ago. And what did he say? Um, the first couple of messages were just kind of um, like, I have these images of you. Um, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do if I send them to your family, your friends, your coworkers? Um, just kind of like harassing messages like that. But these were actually pictures of you. How did he get them? Um, so he originally got them. Well, there was only one image at first, and it was originally from a photographer's uh, like proof gallery. Mm -hmm. um, so images that should have never seen the light of day. They were um, proofs that weren't ever supposed to be out there. So like, like um, test shots. Yes. Um, and... We're not entirely sure exactly how he got them, but somehow he obtained them illegally. And so he contacted you, said, I have them. And then did he start sharing them or how did this escalate? Um, he started sharing them originally right from the beginning. Um, he sent them directly to me and then he started uh, sharing them on like dark websites online. And were, what what were you trying? Were you did you try to like do anything to stop it? Did he ask you for money? Um. So throughout the years, so you have to think this happened, you know, over like multiple years. Um. Sometimes he would ask for not necessarily money, but one time he asked me for like a gift card, uh, more images. If I didn't give him more images, then they would, you know, send them to my father, my mother, my boss. Um, so kind of just bribing in a sense of wanting more pictures. And so I mentioned briefly that you went to the police and they said that a crime really hadn't been committed. After how long from that first image did you go to the police? Oh, gosh. Um, so I, overall, I had um, definitely tried to report it to the police like three or four times. The very first time was probably maybe like five or six months into the harassment. Um, I thought that it would kind of fizzle out and it didn't. So I think that's one of the reasons that it took so long. Also, you know, re 
reporting crimes like that can be a little embarrassing. So I think that sure. was all obviously in the back of my mind as well. Um, so it did take me probably about like three or four months into the harassment to finally try to report the crime. And were the messages coming from a particular account so they could track an IP address? Um, so there's actually a couple different accounts that they were coming from. Um, so yes, technically the law enforcement could have, you know, traced an IP address through sending subpoenas to Facebook or any of the other tech companies, Google, Instagram, etc. Um, they didn't until, you know, fast forward 10 years down the line. Um, but yeah, that's the way that you would be able to get someone to get de-anonymized on a platform like Facebook. Yes. You know, you know, when you say 10 years, I think of like, oh my gosh, where I was 10 years ago. I mean, it's just like so much of your life happens in 10 years, you know, and, and gosh, you just been plagued with dealing with this, this person, um, all this time. So, Madison, all these photos are being circulated. And Christine, now you're you're Madison's twin sister. Um, what happened when these photos started to be distributed to people who you actually knew? Yeah, so her photos actually got distributed to me. Um, so I obviously told her what was happening. Um, but yeah, a, a part of you as an identical twin realizes at that moment that it doesn't it's also affecting you in a way, you know, sure. not only do I love and care about my sister, but we are identical twins. Um, so yeah, I was receiving um, messages from people and I know my father, what our father was, our mother, other friends and family members. Um, and like Madison said, who knows how many other people probably saw them or received them because some people aren't going to have the audacity to go out and tell you about this. But in some instances, they were also posting the photos to public facing pages, like her business page, oh, um, you know, replying to a client and things like that. So I distinctly remember, again, this is years and years and years ago. And I still distinctly remember calling her and being like, check your Facebook right now, start deleting. I was like going in, you know, we're, we're twins. We share a lot. We know a lot of our passwords. I'm like frantically going in to try to, you know, remove the photos as quickly as possible from the public facing page. So, you know, that's, it, it's scary. It's, you know, a frantic time. Um, and that that was when we kind of realized, okay, we need to probably report this to the police. This is not fizzling out like we thought it was going to. Yeah, it seems like it's probably, it sounded like it was probably escalating at that point. Correct. Boy, the range of emotions that you gals felt at that time. Embarrassment, helplessness, right? Anger. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, and then, pro- and obviously very vulnerable. That, yeah, and really just like disbelief that another human would do this to another human. And then well, I'm sure we'll get to it about, you know, how we discovered who it was and there really being no motive for it. It's just I just I can't imagine wanting to inflict that kind of psychological, physical trauma. harm on someone. Right. You know? but, well, let's let's talk about that. So so all this is going on. It seems to be escalating, obviously. Uh, now you are in the, the verge of public embarrassment and vulnerability how how do you even start to determine who this person is doing all this oh that is a very open-ended question um so in the beginning we obviously had no idea um and i think that is probably one of the scariest parts of it because anyone you know 
could be a suspect. Um, so over the months, over the years, we really just saved every little bit of evidence we could and started kind of looking at small like clues. We called it a breadcrumb map. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how we narrowed down a list of suspects. Um, and then obviously we had to get legitimate evidence. Um, so that's when we um, did a civil lawsuit since we couldn't get the police to help us. Some of the only ways you can get some of that uh, legitimate evidence uh, would be subpoenas, like I said earlier. And if the police aren't doing it, you have to open up a civil lawsuit. And that way you can send out subpoenas to get the information. So now what, yeah, ha so, what happened oh, when you ahead. went to what happened when you went to the police? Was there a lot of resistance or they just said, oh, you know, there's nothing we can do? Um, I mean, there's a little bit of both. A lot of it was um, what, like, what do you mean? What, like, how did they even get the photos? You know, um, this isn't a crime. Oh, well, it could be a crime. It's just a misdemeanor, though. So there was a lot of, you know, like victim shaming mm -hmm. and not believing the serious nature of the crimes. Yeah. Kind um, of like, how did the how did they get the photos? Well, did you give them the photos? Well, okay, it doesn't really matter. That's how the, the law is set up. That doesn't matter how they got the photos. But if you're wondering, they stole them somehow. And so it was it was very defensive. Uh, you know, a jury will never understand this. It's just a misdemeanor. This isn't a crime. Um, so I think at first, Madison was um, denied. Um, ultimately, we found and kind of gathered all the victims together and simultaneously went into our police stations at different jurisdictions. And those are kind of some of the answers and responses that the variety of us were greeted with. And ultimately, two out of six of us came out of that day with police reports. Okay. And so I no, wasn't no. even one of them. I wasn't even one of the oh. ones that came out with police reports. I had to pull strings around my community and uh, email and call the old police, uh, chief of police of my county to even get mine scene so no, it's, no. it's just let me wild. that those this the other victims were the victims of the same person or just of a similar situation the same, the same person. person oh my gosh you're kidding yes yeah. well no we're not kidding i'm like i was saying yeah in agreement <laughs> no but i mean total throughout the um country really not all of them were in our area um and that was how when, we, when I spoke to you earlier about the breadcrumbs, when we were kind of gathering some evidence over the years, we came across some of those girls and we um, kind of started putting it all together that these were also victims, whether they knew about it or not. Some of them did, some of them didn't. Um, and we kind of put it all together that one of the main people that we all had in common was Christopher Bonacore, who ended up being the stalker. So... Um, we got all of us together and went into the police stations all throughout the country. Boy, that is an amazing story. How, how did you, how did you find out that there were other victims specifically? I mean, how did you know that they were suffering the same that you were because of him doing these exploits and, uh, you know, really just emotional abuse? Yeah. So on the... 4chan website where he was primarily sharing these photographs he was also attaching a kick username kik which is a messaging system for mm -hmm. those of i'm sure you know i'm yeah. maybe not all of your listeners know um 
and he was associating certain screen names with that. And so we were kind of gathering what, you know, what's, we were tracking him by, him by screen. It's, it's all an anonymous platform, but because he was leaving that kick screen name, we were able to see like, okay, who is he posting? Or he's posting a handful of girls, some underage and women. Let's see who these people are. You search for them, you know, on Facebook and in whatever social media you can find um, and kind of figure out, okay, these are the six girls and women that he's targeting. Who do we have all have in common? And so that was part of the way to narrow it down. Another way we narrowed down some of his, what he thought was anonymous posts, and this is before we were able to obtain subpoenas, is he has this very weird way of writing, um, like a weird social media vernacular, where he would do dot, space, dot, space, dot. Like, so he would be like, mm you know, I have wins of this girl, dot, space, dot. And it's just a weird way yeah. to type. So we would track that kind of, so that's why we call it a breadcrumb map. And it was all circumstantial evidence at that point, right? So we're trying to tell the police officers, this is what's going on. We brought you what we think is the person. You have the power um, to subpoena with your police power, like please subpoena evidence. You know, we were met with, no, well, this isn't a crime, all of that, which is why Madison and I decided to, file a civil lawsuit against John Doe, an anonymous person, to de-anonymize this, this person who is stalking and harassing multiple women and girls. Wow. And then after, what happened after the lawsuit? So Cliff Notes version, because again, this is, a, this is a decade in the making. So sure. I know you're, you're show, this is just a blip. So I'm trying to, we're trying to give you guys, a, you know, the highlight reel. Um, so ultimately, when you do that, you have to, well, so rewind a little bit. We actually asked to file it at, w- with our initials. Like, so in a, in a, in the federal criminal proceedings, you won't find our names in that. We're protected as victims, right? So it's just all of our initials, all six girls and women's initials. Mm-hmm. Um, with a civil sol- a lawsuit, you technically can't do that. We did ask the court, due to the nature of this, can we be anonymous as well? Um, the court denied our request, and so we we met that we were at this threshold of like, well, we can become public, and this is we're going to be the face of revenge porn. Like, let's do this or not, you know. So we were we kind of were at that crossroads, and ultimately we we decided that our reputation um, can can stand the the hit if we think we can truly find this person, and we we thought we could truly find this person. So we continued with our real names, asked the court. Um, to open discovery, which gave me as an attorney um, and our our initial law firm, and then me later on when I took over the case, the ability to subpoena some of these um, internet service providers and you know Facebook, uh, Instagram, 4chan, um, all of those websites as well. Um, so how, once we obtained the how evidence, hard, how hard was it, Christine, <laughs> to get them to turn over evidence? Um, you know. Different and different social media platforms and different websites all have different processes. So once you navigate that, they're generally pretty. Um, they're pretty cooperative. Even 4chan, I did get from the 4chan webmaster an email that I laugh about now, but it was literally calling me the S word. I don't even know if I can say that on on the nice. show. <laughs> Um, so, you know, all the, all the, all the bad words, victim shaming. Um, and so you have to deal with that a lot, especially when you're a victim and an attorney, um, whereas an attorney, like just a true attorney working on a case probably wouldn't care about all that. 
But once you actually have the subpoena, like they they want to comply with that and they don't want to get in, in trouble with the court either. It's the actual process of being able to get that subpoena, which was the more difficult part. Um, I would say 4chan after other than, you know, victim shaming me and being quite rude and they complied with the data or the uh, subpoena request for the data. I will say that a lot of these um, websites will try to purge their identifying data very quickly. So with 4chan, um, they're getting rid of data within 24 hours. So you have wow. to really, really, really be on top of it. That's, that's um, some crazy. of the websites that kind of store the information, like the archive sites, as, as they call them, mm -hmm. um, will store some of that information a little bit longer. But I mean, to get a true data, uh, to get the identifying information from Fortran, you, you have to be monitoring it and grab it within 24 hours. Okay, so now, Christine, armed with all of this data, now you get the information back from, you know, Facebook, 4chan, Instagram, wherever. Uh, what happens next? Yeah, so ultimately once, and this is a long, long, like years of a process because this person anonymously is fighting subpoenas every step of the way, right? So like typically if um, you're subpoenaing a website, like let's say 4chan, we're getting an IP address back. That IP address might not be a static IP address. It could be, a, it's usually a cell phone, right? Mm -hmm. So um, then you have to go to the internet service provider. So it's another layer of right. <laughs> subpoena process. And in in that layer, they actually alert the subscriber and give them the the chance to defend it. So there, I mean, it took over a year, probably close to two years, to actually truly get the information that we needed. So then you amend the complaint to substitute John Doe for the person's name that you have the data for. And so that's ultimately what happened. Simultaneously, my police station was actually one of the ones that let me file a police report after lots of convincing with the front desk person. It made its way to a detective. A detective was like, whoa, we do not have the capabilities to handle this hmm. FBI. So my detective is one out of six jurisdictions that did the right thing, said we need to shoot this over to the FBI. Once the FBI got involved, very responsive, very on top of our case. Um, and the good news is, is I had already done all of the uh, subpoena work for the civil case that they were, they have their own checks and balances and they obviously have to do their own chain of command processes, but they were essentially able to copy that work because um, by me and Madison requesting this information earlier, it preserved that data that otherwise would have been purged Gone. from yeah. 4chan. Then we'd be like, okay, well, you know, where is it? Well, you know what? It's gone. Yeah, well, we got rid of it. Yeah. So we didn't have to retain it. It's gone. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing to report. There's no, there's nothing to comply with the subpoena because it doesn't exist. So, so let's fast forward. So, you, so uh, you get the guy's name, and he gets arrested. Yeah. So again, a very long process, years, um, but ultimately, he does get arrested, and it's not in the dramatic way that I would have probably liked, and that everyone in the viewers and listeners are thinking about. It's not like you know the door was crushed in and. So, someone was wheeled off clutching their computer or anything. Um, <laughs> funny. That's how I visualized it. You know, you know what? You'd like um, to think it's like after 10 years, like you've got something like that going on, right? Yeah, exactly. No, no, it was um, throughout this whole process, you know, he filed for bankruptcy. He knew about our civil case. He was trying to fight it. He had several attorneys reach out to us, even anonymous. So he was always like fighting and trying to find an angle. And so somehow one of his attorneys got wind of, 
a subpoena that the FBI did, like at some point, um, even with law enforcement, they alert the subscriber. They're shielded a little bit more than the civil side, but let's say it's 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. I don't know off the top of my head, but he got alerted. And so the attorney called up someone he knew from the criminal side and got the information and he kind of just turned himself in and pled guilty and everything. Oh, and then what, 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 what kind of sentence do they give him or a fine or what did they do? So he got sentenced to essentially 15 years in prison um, at the first sentencing. There was some procedural errors that were made. We actually had to go back to sentencing what uh, four months ago, Madison, three months ago. Yeah, like around four months ago, I think. Yeah. So this is all kind of just ending and now he's appealing it. But the new judge did resentence him um, to the same exact amount of time. So he will be as of this date, out in, what, August of 2034. You know what? I just, I feel so sorry for both of you and your families. I mean, for 10 years, you've been dealing with, like, what a headache, a nightmare. Yes. But you persisted. At any time, did you say, like, you know what? Maybe he'll just go away. I think, yeah, I think both of us had those moments where we were, like, very down and wanted to just go away or just stop. Um, but I think part of it is both my sister and I were there to push each other. Um, and then we tried making it stop, like not like letting it sizzle out and it never sizzled out. So um, I think we ended up just kind of helping each other get through some of the lows. Well, you know what? You're both resilient and persistent and that's always the keys to success in anything, you know, is, is to not give Agreed, up. Agreed, yeah. You know, even when you want to give up where it's like I'm sure people around you are like going, oh, my gosh, you know, you, your time and effort and energy is so much better spent on other things. But see, but now, absolutely, you know, at the end of the day is that where you two are sitting is that and that's why I wanted to have you on is that you can help other people now. Uh, you can help them if this is happening to them. How, how? Number one, how can they prevent it? Obviously, don't get the photo taken and don't believe whatever somebody says to you, right? About a photo that it's going to be gone forever, and because anything that's digital just will morph itself. And and what's even more disturbing is that now we have deep fakes, right? Uh, you know, or we can put somebody's face on anything, anybody, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and spread it. And we have these miscreants that, that, you know, get their jollies by doing this sort of thing online. So if, if a, if a young woman or band for that matter, and they're listening, they're watching right now, and, and this may be happening to them, what are some, what are some words of wisdom from YouTube if, after going through all this for all this time? I would say first and foremost, save everything, keep records of everything, um, keep it as organized as you can. Um, advocate for yourself you kind of touched on this earlier you're your own best advocate right like being persistent advocating for yourself in any aspect of life is just super important um and then in general a dmca copyright law is your best friend when it comes to images um in madison's case we were able to get the photographer to transfer some copyright to us we registered the copyright but if you're the it's in a typical non-consensual pornography situation or image abuse situation. It's typically selfies. So you own the copyright. 
Um, so most of these websites will comply with your DMCA, which is essentially a demand that you take an image down based on copyright law. Um, so that's like the biggest tip that I can tell people if they're dealing with image abuse in general is copyright law is your best friend. You know, just one, one more, one final thing is because you just mentioned the photographer. So I guess I was just thinking like, oh, well, maybe the photographer gave the pictures to a friend or he had something to do with this, but obviously he didn't. So how do you think this, this guy got the images in the first place? Do you have any, any idea? So there's many like there's many ways that it could have happened, and I mean we're not certain that the photographer didn't provide the photos um, through just again discovery of our civil case. From his perspective, there was a breach in a system. There has been some articles on this particular platform Zenfolia having breaches. So essentially, the theory would be that. Christopher or someone else breached the portfolio system, got the proofs, downloaded them, and then either sent them to Chris or the the person who breached the system was Christopher. I personally don't think Christopher is smart enough to do that, but we'll never know who or how they got them. Just an un- unsolved mystery. Well, thank you for uh, for coming on and telling your story. I appreciate it. I really do. And I, I, and I can tell you both. You don't know, and I don't know how many people that we've helped right now, but with all the millions who listen, I I bet you there's at least 10. So, you know, this afternoon, you guys can have a a glass of champagne and say, you know what, we just helped 10 people today in the same situation. Yeah, I love to hear that. And um, Madison and I always want to advocate um, for anything that we can to do with this. And ultimately, I know you touched on the whole, the easiest way to do, to get, to not, to have this not happen to you would be not, not to take the photo. But I want to stress to men and women, because like you said, this does happen to men as well. Don't use pictures against people. Oh, yeah. Even some, of the, photos, yeah, yes. even some of the photos that were used against me were not nude photographs. And like you said, with, you know, deep fakes and all this stuff, it can happen to anybody and just be better people to each other. Like there's no reason to inflict this harm on someone. Yeah. Um, and, but I also think getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but I also think people become other people and bad people when they think that they're anonymous. Absolutely. Yes, you know, I agree. Keyboard warriors. I yes. mean, it, it, he's proof of that. Like we de-anonymized him. He fought it the whole way, but then once he wasn't anonymous anymore, he pled guilty. He, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, whatever. Like he, he didn't try to fight it after that because he thought he was going to be anonymous forever. And you're not. No, Mm-mm. there's a trace everywhere you go. Ladies, thanks again for being here, telling your story. Marshall in Rockford, Illinois. So I wanted to indicate I, I reached out because I uh, uh, enjoyed the articles that are published regularly, and I've become hawkish about uh, personal privacy, and I enjoy following the tips in the articles, uh, trying to minimize any attempts at capturing and selling personal information about myself. Boy, and, it's, uh, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. Yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, I currently have a 2005 small sedan that I drive that's got nearly 400,000 miles on it. And so... Oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Did you just say you have 400,000 miles on a car? Yeah, about three, about 370,000. It's the fourth time on this particular brand um, that I've I've gotten that far with these. They uh, they tend to stick around a while. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, and and I, I, I everybody looks at me and teases me a little bit, but uh, every single OEM part that was on that car when it rolled off, except uh, for tires and windshield wipers, <laughs> is still on the car. <laughs> that's crazy. But, um, you know, it uh, it's a simple car. It's it's got an AM FM radio and uh, electric windows, and that's about it for the luxuries. And you know, but we want to drive around the country. Uh, we're looking at a new set of wheels uh, to do that. Um, it's become that time in our lives. But I recently came across an article that uh, was published uh, by Mozilla, if I could mention that. Oh yeah, the and, whole p- car privacy report. Yeah, we did. We talked about yeah. that too. Yeah, that was you, you know what you fascinating, fascinating information, wasn't it? But it's also spooky. Hundred uh, percent. I, I didn't didn't realize I, I have you know again because of articles uh, you know that I've read there uh, you know from Kim and 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 it's, it's interesting to me that um, only cell phones and computers are mainly targeted. Nobody thinks about their fall or their cards rather spying on them. And my my concern here is that th- there is there any way at all that this thing could be shut down? And is it simply as easy to not connect my phone to the car or? Is the process independent of connecting a cell phone? And if so, how does the car transmit my information without a cell phone? Well, yeah, right. Um, okay, you're right. One of the primary reasons that cars collect all the data is when you connect your smartphone up to it. So that's where you're going to sync contacts and you got logs, location data. Uh, and, you know, the whole idea is that maybe if I don't connect my phone to the car, then what kind of data can the car get? Well, they can still get some data, right? I mean, they still have onboard computers. Uh, you have GM's OnStar. Toyota has something called Safety Connect. And these transmit location. It's all under the guise of, and it is a good one. I mean, as far as safety, if you get in an accident, they automatically know where it is. I mean, you can choose not to subscribe to these services. But you have to know whether or not the car is still going to transmit data even without an active subscription. So that's where you actually have to read the user agreement, or I can tell you another place, which I will in a second. Uh, you know, built, if a car is a built-in GPS system, which they all do, okay, uh, stores location data, your travel routes. Your te- what about telematics? Uh, these are all your uh, monitor the health of the car. I mean, I in my car, I got had a notification this morning when I was driving out that, you know, uh, just wanted to let you know that your former has been updated. I'm like, hmm, thanks. Glad to let glad to know that. <laughs> Did he know that? Okay. You know, um, you, Can I ask you another question? Can I interject something here? Sure. What if this information is monitoring my driving style, and is it possible for the car to disseminate that information to my insurance carrier, and all of a sudden they say, this guy doesn't drive well, uh, which is not the case. I'm, I'm a, I, I can tell you the whole story about my father's business and safety and, and the National Safety Council. But that being said, you know, can they make a decision towards an insured that says, we don't want you as an insured? We're dumping you. Well, you know, they're going to, they will say no. Okay. I believe personally that that information is being collected and being sent off. Why would it not? Mm. I mean, that data, that data is valuable. I mean, you know, think about the car manufacturers or the t- even, let's just talk about television manufacturers. Okay. TV manufacturers like Vizio, they make more money selling data than they do selling televisions. I mean, <laughs> 
Jeez. Okay. Well. okay, so think about all the information and data that your car's collecting. Is Are they selling that? Yes. Now, there's a place where you can go online. It's called the Vehicle Privacy Report. And if you have trouble finding it, I have a link over my website. And that's where you can type in a the year, make, and model of a car, and it will tell you what data is being collected and if they're selling the data. Okay. Now, okay. where did this website come from and why are they doing this? That was my question. Okay. Why they're doing this is because when you sell an old car, part of the dealer's responsibility is to remove all the old data. So this company sprung up to certify that when a dealer sells an old car, that all the data is wiped out. So on the flip side, what they do is they tell you, here's the make and model and here's the data that they're collecting. So it's kind of a uh, kind of a, a workaround. Um, you know, so are all cars spy mobiles? Mm, you know, not. I you know, and I, I read in a Reddit forum, and I don't know if this is true, Marshall, or not. But I did read in a Reddit forum that some cars have an isolated circuit that if you pull one fuse, that that will mm-hmm. end the data transmission. Now, I don't know which one it is. I don't know if you could wire a switch. I don't know anything about it. But I just, I thought, because I was investigating this, and I thought for a second, like, you know, that would be interesting to see if maybe if you pulled a fuse, if that would necessarily end the data transmission. But in case you're in the market for a new car, anybody else who's listening, like Marshall, uh, just look up Vehicle Privacy Report. If you have trouble finding it, just head over to commando.com for the official site for that. And Marshall, thank you for your call and go 400,000 miles. Yes. I'm trying to think which car I have that has the highest mileage. And as I start thinking about all the cars, because I am a car collector, as many of you know, I mean, whether it's a 1946 pickup truck or it's a Ferrari or whatever it may be, I love cars. Um, I don't think I have over 50,000 miles on any of my cars. Wow, 400,000 miles on a car. That's really something. Okay, whether your business is large or small, that ranking on Google or any other search site, it's just key to building a brand and making money. So how can you track what your competitors are doing to get the top ranking? Well, here's what you want to do is look at a search engine optimization tool. That's SEO for short. It's called SimilarWeb. There are a couple out there, but I like SimilarWeb because it does give you a lot of information just for free. It has this dashboard, and here's how it works. You just head over to the website, you enter your competitor's URL, and then it breaks down your competitor's incoming traffic by source. So you can get a taste of who's visiting the site. Then it also goes into keyword analysis. Now, that's really important stuff because this is what they have. These are the words that they have on their pages that is bringing them all the traffic. So you can discover some of the magical words that are bringing people to the site. Now, the big question is, can I get all this for free? Mm, No, they have to make money some way, but you can get an inkling for free. And then the other question is, is all this data accurate? Uh, Kind of. It's probably maybe accurate up to a factor of, say, 10%. Uh, But again, you can plug in any URL over at SimilarWeb.com. Once again, that's SimilarWeb.com. All right. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to tell three friends about the Kim Commando Show and the Kim Commando Today podcast, because after all, knowledge is power. This program is a copyrighted production of Westar Multimedia Entertainment and protected by the copyright laws. Any rebroadcast or use of this program for commercial, business, economic, or financial purposes without the written permission of Westar Multimedia Entertainment is strictly prohibited.